Hello and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Charlie and Ken. Today we're going to be chatting about another country, about the Philippines, where Ken has been recently and I've also spent quite a bit of time. So we're going to just have a nice free-form discussion and see where it takes us. Welcome to the show, Ken. How are you doing? I'm in the uh, throes of finishing up this Habitats of Africa <laughs> guide. Uh, it's been an intense, basically, month I've been working on this almost full-time every day or more than full-time. It's probably going to be me in a year's time. Yeah, you're uh, you're going to do Asia, right? Frantically trying to finish off the uh, the Asia book, yeah. So if I recall correctly, your number one lifetime bird was in the Philippines. I don't think it was. It was up there. the 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 Philippine eagle was up there. It may have been. It may have been top three. Um, I don't. I'll have to go back and listen to that. But um, it's certainly a pretty mega bird. You know what I want to start off by saying is that you were always quite dismissive about the Philippines. You you like to get everywhere and check it all out and just go to different places and see what they like. But you, you were always like, ah, you know, Philippines. It's, you know, it's what one place I'm not really that bothered about going. Did that change since you did your recent trip there? Yeah, well, it changed before I went there, which had a causal effect on my mm. ending up there or making a point of going there. Uh, <laughs> you know, some listeners may recall I did this episode, actually a couple episodes with uh, Forrest Jarvis or Forrest Botiel Jarvis. Jarvis uh, lives in the Philippines and he knows it quite well. He's done all kinds of adventurous travel there and he obviously just loves the place. I think of him almost as like the, the Philippine... He is to the Philippines what I have been for to Madagascar in terms of being a, a, a foreigner who's really dug into the natural history and the birding. And talking to Forrest really piqued my interest and, and made me realize, no, it is, it is a cool place to go. And, and it's, I think I had a mistaken impression that it was just an absolute environmental basket case and you were only birding forests where the trees were literally being cut down around you. And, you know, you're hearing chainsaws everywhere. And I know that's true of some places. I think there there's one birding site. I think it's Peacup on uh, Mindanao where that is actually the case. And, and I just kind of overweighted some of those stories. And I hadn't realized just how many places there are to go birding in the Philippines, how different they are, and how, how cool many of them are. And yeah, I didn't find it to be particularly more depressing than anywhere else you go birding in the tropics, which is to say, can't, it can be quite depressing and a lot of things are being destroyed and, but there's still, you know, good forest, amazing wildlife for sure. Not to mention lots of other cool things about the country. Another one of the stereotypes of birding in the Philippines is that, um, you, you have to stay very far away from the forest and, you know, drive two, three hours to get there and, it all sounds a bit kind of miserable and you know not very rewarding, but I guess you found that also not to be the case. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, there might be places where that is the case. Maybe some of the more remote places without as much infrastructure. But there are that some again places... is Picope. Pick eh? <laughs> right. Picope uh, has given has certainly given the Philippines a bad name on several accounts. Yeah, that's so this is this this forest site in the southern big island of Mindanao and I guess it's the, still one of the best places to see some of the coolest birds in the Philippines, but it's not really properly protected and it's far from the nearest accommodation and 
I think that combination of like really amazing birds and then just tough logistics and really tough conservation situation is has probably kind of poisoned many people's perception of the Philippines, including mine. But yeah, yeah. so one of the places, the first place I went out of Manila was Subic, Subic Bay. That name is probably familiar to a lot of Americans because there was historically a huge American naval base there. It's one of the, one of the, I think the United States's biggest overseas military installations. It was crucial in like the Vietnam War. Um, it it was closed, uh, I guess, a couple decades ago, I think, or or the the Americans pulled out. But it's a place that has this history of connection to the states. Um, it has a pretty high degree of development. And then I guess a lot of forest was protected because it was actually on the base. I don't know a ton about it, but I, you know, um, so you you basically have nice accommodations and good food, cool little town, beautiful bay, and then beautiful forest, uh, quite a bit of it. Um, that's easy to access, you know, talking about you're just in India and there's very few places you can go on your own. Subic is one of these wonderful places where you just have forest all over the, and you can just walk around and bird on your own, and yeah, it's delightful. Pretty easy birding I, as well, really. Oh, easy birding, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I think this idea that birding in the Philippines is so hard, it depends a lot which island and which site you're on or in. Yep. I didn't find Subic to be harder birding than anywhere in Southeast Asia, maybe harder birding than India harder birding than much of Africa, although West Africa is pretty tough birding. So yeah, just lots of great birds all over the place. I mean, the, the, you know, the first afternoon I went birding at Subic, I would kind of brace myself for just how difficult and frustrating this was going to be. You know, I was going to put in hours and hours of effort and I was going to see very little and there'd just <laughs> be a lot of slow times when I'd be seeing almost nothing. And it was just like this pell-mell, like lifer fest, just new birds all over the place there there literally was not a dull moment for like three hours of birding in the afternoon and it was like a hot afternoon yeah it's wonderful and great night birding as well Oof. really cool for owls as well yeah a ton of owls yeah i i think i did like four different four different night birding sessions there i didn't do a lot of sleeping <laughs> because the philippines you see different things on different islands and there's, there's always an endemic owl wherever you go there's always a different owl so it's never you you see the owls in the first few days and then you can sort of you don't need to go out any night you know you need to keep going out the whole time that you're in the philippines because there's always another owl yeah, absolutely I, I i don't think there's more night bird more different night birds anywhere else in the world it's crazy for for owls and frogmouths and night jars the philippines it's very cool. So one thing that always impresses me about you, Ken, is you, you really maximize the number of places you go. So say you, you're doing a tour somewhere else, you, you, you look what you can just tag onto it to just check out somewhere new. So um, is, is that what happened this time? Precisely. Uh, I had just guided a short trip in Vietnam. And this is actually part of what had always prevented me from going to the Philippines, because I tend to do this when I'm somewhere in a region I'm looking at like, where can I get that's close and flights aren't that expensive. Philippines is weirdly not very well connected with most of Southeast Asia. 
um, I guess it comes down to historical reasons. It's just not that tied in with the rest of Southeast Asia. It's kind of like Madagascar with regard to Africa. It's, um, it's, you know, Philippines is much more aligned with East Asia and even the States um, than, than Southeast Asia. But I realized there was actually one flight a day on Vietnam Airways flying out of Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City. It turns out that was actually a Philippine Airways flight, not a Vietnam Airways flight, but it doesn't really matter. So yeah, I realized, okay, this is, uh, this is my chance. Like I short trip, I can shoot over to the Philippines, do a little Philippines junket and, uh, flights not too expensive. Yeah, it worked perfectly. And you had a fairly limited amount of time, but you had to like uh, come up with a pretty short itinerary that was going to maximize your time there and see a few different places, right? Yeah. So I, I had the great benefit of the help of our friend Forrest and he he basically you know I told him the parameters of like I want to see a lot in a short time I want to get the feel of the country as much as possible in that short time I do want to see as many endemic birds as possible but I don't want to go anywhere just purely for the birding I, you know I want to go to places that are kind of interesting in their own right and he was kind enough to to put together this day-to-day -day itinerary and I, I had had one, an itinerary, it was kind of like you described in South India. I had my own itinerary, but as soon as he sent me his, I was, I just was like, okay, this is better. I'm, I'm going okay, with this. Do this one. <laughs> so that was, that was awesome. He, he had great recommendations and I pretty much just followed his recommendations with one small exception. He suggested I go up to a montane site in central Luzon called Bajuio. And in the end, I just decided it was a little bit far, a little bit more driving than I wanted to do. But uh, yeah, otherwise I just followed his itinerary and it was great. So, well, I basically birded two islands, which was uh, the main island of Luzon. That's where the capital of Manila is. And then the island of Palawan, which is halfway between Luzon and Borneo. Um, I, I was tempted to try to get to more islands, but I just realized it didn't make sense to, because there are so many different cool places you can go on Luzon. It doesn't really make sense to like be taking a flight to another island and then just miss something really cool on Luzon. And, and I also realized in terms of cost, like once I rented a cheap car in Luzon, I could transport myself around pretty cheaply and see quite a big diversity of places. So, and that's what I did. And that was a, as a good strategy. Certainly all the places I went on Luzon were very different from each other and actually gave me some feeling for just the, the you know, diversity of the Philippines. Just even that one island has so much diversity. So you actually rented a car and drove yourself around. <laughs> I did. I did. Wow. Um, I made some inquiries about, you know, how difficult this would be or how advisable. I think the, the advice I got was pretty accurate, but I still didn't know what I was getting into fully. Um, I, I, without exaggeration, it was the most intense driving I've ever done anywhere in the world. And this was really due to Manila. The driving, once yeah. you get out of Manila is easy. I mean, almost anybody could do that driving. It's not, especially if you've, you've driven in a place like Madagascar or whatever, Thailand, but Manila is nuts. 
I actually think it even exceeds the level of insanity in a place like India. Manila is just insane. The scale of the city, it's, it's a massive sprawl. It's, it's the way I describe it in terms of the traffic situation is it's like the worst of all worlds. You essentially have like <laughs> the chaos and disorder and honking horns and vast array of transportation characteristic of a place like Madagascar, you know, people walking into the road or people begging next to the road. You have that, but then you have traffic on the scale of like Houston or Delhi. Or, so, so you have all, everything is bad and like you don't have very good modern highways but you have traffic on that scale and i mean it's just like can you imagine like a free-for-all there's like a, a six-lane road where it's just like a free-for-all so in madagascar that's common right every it's always kind of a free-for-all driving around like the capital of uh Antananarivu, but yeah but there's only two lanes, right? So there's limited scope for, for things to go wrong. But these these sort of highways or big roads through Manila, they're like these urban canyons. So it's like you're on this like six-lane road going through a city and you're hemmed in on all sides by like concrete barriers. And there are literally no lane markings in many places. And, and it is just this free-flowing like motor derby Mad Max insanity <laughs> when i so i oh man when i when i got into manila it was super late i got in at like evening you know it's it's pitch black it's 9 p.m at the airport i had rented a car i thought from an airport location turns out the rental company hertz didn't even have an office in the airport but thankfully the people yeah. hanging around were kind enough to basically tell me you know, oh, I call this number. Okay, I call this number. It was the Hertz people. They said, oh, we're sending a driver. <laughs> so, they, I mean, they actually did a good job, but it wasn't what I expected. They drove me out into the suburbs, and it was this tiny little office. I mean, it was the it was like a little tiny cell. It didn't have a bathroom. It didn't have anything. It was just like literally like a tiny little box in a strip mall. <laughs> and the parking lot was absolutely jammed with humanity. All the employees looked like they were about 19 years old and probably were. Um, there was like booming karaoke from next door. There was a couple young girls like begging in the, in the parking lot. Like every time I walked through, they like kind of came up to me and were like tugging at my sleeve. So it was, it was like full on immersive experience. I would say of like the big city of Manila. When I finally got out of there with my rental car, I basically plunged into one of these urban canyons with just insane traffic. And I'm, I'm hitting it. I guess Manila is, is active pretty late. So even though it was like 10 PM, it was just an absolute river of humanity on the, these roads. And it was like an hour and a half of just misery to get to where I was sleeping. Which probably wasn't even that far. It was probably 20 miles, right. but it was, it was just stop and go. And the thing about stop and go in Manila is as described, it's like a motor derby. When you go, everyone is like speeding up to like 70 miles an hour and flowing <laughs> through the six lanes. <clears throat> and then it'll be stop. And, and then, you know, thousands of cars slamming on their brakes simultaneously and like coming into some kind of cohesive pack. I mean, it, it is nuts. It's nuts. And I mean, 
places like that, when you kind of get your eye in, when you get the feel for how they work, are manageable. But when you're exhausted from a long travel day and it's nighttime and you're just tired and then you plunge into this kind of driving scene, it's pretty intense. I mean, so one thing I knew there were some toll roads, but it wasn't clear to me what the system was, like how they worked or where you paid. And I, I really wasn't sure whether I was like blasting through toll zones or what. I mean, there were all <laughs> kinds of like side roads and on ramps and off ramps and I mean, it, it was it was truly like chaotic driving on a on a level I've never seen anywhere else. It was it was intense. Did you have any maps or anything to to follow? Did did they get you to where you need to go? Like Google Maps is just such a game changer for jumping yeah. into this kind of thing. So that that was what I used. But the problem with Google Maps in this kind of situation is you don't get the big picture. You don't really know like where you're going, what kind of road you're you know getting off of and onto and you just kind of yeah it's it's weird you're just in this like horrendous flow through the urban canyon and just following these directions and it's so crazy and demanding that you you can never really like zoom out on the map or like look you know you just basically like you just go and you just follow the thing so i I guess things got a lot calmer when you when you got to palawan oh yeah yeah Palawan was just sweet and easy. And it's about as different as it gets as well in the Philippines. I mean, the biogeography of the Philippines, I mean, is is incredibly complex and just fascinating. And, the, you know, there's there's so many different endemics on the different islands. There's, there's certain groups of islands that have similar things and other groups and there's all different kind of water trenches. But the, the one big difference are the birds that are on Palawan from the rest of the Philippines. It's a, It's a lot more seems to be a lot closer to kind of Borneo or Southeast Asia than the rest. Yeah, it certainly, certainly is. Yeah, it felt very much like Borneo to me. Um, even shares a lot of bird species with Borneo. And then a big suite of just Palawan endemics. And uh, again, pretty easy birding. Um, now, parts of Luzon, I did find the birding incredibly difficult. Uh, this place, Infanta, or the Infanta Road, it's kind of uh, east of east of Manila, near the east coast of that island of Luzon. Wow, the birding there was tough. It's one of these places that just had this like tantalizingly long list of incredibly cool things, none of which I saw. Um, oh no, you didn't get the the star bird there. <laughs> which the pitta? The pitta, yeah. So my understanding of that place, now maybe our more knowledgeable friends will correct me on this, but it just seemed to me like it was one of these places where there was a golden age of birding when that road had just uh, been blazed through pristine montane forest. When you could call up some of these birds, like there's this very rare like mountain-dwelling pitta in, on Luzon, the whiskered pitta that Charlie's referencing. There was this golden age when those birds had never seen birders before, never heard tape, and there was almost no traffic on the road, and the habitat was perfectly undisturbed. And now there's just tons of traffic. There's been tons of birders, and it's just it's just not as good as it used to be. Because that bird used to only be possible if you did a really kind of tough hike up this hill, and you know it was um, it's like almost like a little expedition was needed to go and see that. Yeah, well, I'd be happy to do the expedition to get away from that <laughs> noisy road and do some proper really? birding. It was it was a frustrating yeah. place that Infanta Road, 
I uh, interesting. Yeah, there was. I was there on a Sunday. I arrived on a Sunday, and I thought it'd be quiet by then, but there were just incredible numbers of motorbikes on that road. I mean, there was. Again, you like I was birding on this road, and, and you would have like thirty seconds of quiet, and then the next motorbike would come, and then there'd be another one, and another one, and then you'd have thirty seconds of quiet, and then there'd be more motorbikes. I mean, it was just like a form of torture as a birder. You know, you you feel like you're half blind when you can't hear birds. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about the logistics of your trip, but um, what what about the people? How did you find the Filipinos? I really enjoyed the the folks in the Philippines. You know, this is. A pretty surface level of being a foreigner traveling around. I didn't have a lot of deep conversations with people, but people just struck me as like remarkably kind and gentle. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of Madagascar or even a place like Thailand. You know, there just wasn't a lot of aggression or, or just things to worry about. And I guess that's something that surprised me a little bit in the Philippines. I'd heard, you certainly hear about how crazy Manila is. I'd never really realized just how cool the people there are. Uh, and you know, what's interesting is like, even in that insane urban traffic in Manila, people behaved pretty, pretty kindly. I mean, there wasn't like aggressive honking or flipping off people or, or it's some of the stuff you see a lot in the States. It was all kind of conducted with some weird civility, even though it was chaotic. <laughs> So the Philippines is unusual in Asia because it's, you know, it's one of the few predominantly English-speaking places. So you, so it's another nice thing about it. You can get by perfectly well with English. The other thing is it's it's a mainly Christian country as well, which is one of the few countries in Asia that's like that. So I don't know how that American colonialism and the language and their religion has affected people's outlook and the way they, they kind of act. But I... I did kind of find that Filipinos have a little bit more of a, you might call it like a, a Western philosophy or, you know, you, you feel that you're kind of on the same wavelength, you know, it doesn't, it's not coming from a completely, you know, like a Confucius um, philosophy or something like that. You feel that they, they're kind of on the same wavelength as you as a Westerner. Yeah, I know what you mean. One of the things I find fascinating there is that the Spanish colonized the Philippines for like 300 years <laughs> and there's hardly a trace of that left most of the buildings are gone nobody speaks Spanish uh, Americans were there for like a couple decades maybe what 40 50 years and it feels very American in a lot of ways I mean certainly like aspirationally American right it almost seems like the states is the ideal that people are working towards probably mistakenly, but I mean, some like the, the kind of like highway rest areas, they're just remarkably American. Um, but you know, just even the same fast food chains and, you know, shopping malls are, they look very American the diners and stuff. Yeah. Yep. They're all kind of yep. American style, aren't they? Yeah. Very much. So one thing that is a little visible effect of the, of the Spanish colonial era, there's a lot of Spanish surnames still around, and yep. there's a few words of Spanish mixed in with Filipino. I mean, Filipino is mainly Tagalog, Tagalog but it's yeah. got other stuff mixed in. But I remember, you know, they'll, they'll say things like guapa, you know, for beautiful. And you know, so there's, a, there's a few Spanish words mixed in, not a whole bunch, not enough for, to 
enable them to speak Spanish, but uh, just just enough to show that it, it did have an effect. I, w- I enjoyed listening to the radio and listening to Tagalog and, <laughs> and hearing just random words of Spanish that I understood from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> but they are very, very nice people, very sweet, very friendly, very kind. Everyone speaks English. So it, like it, from, from that way, it's a very nice place to travel. Very, and it has a kind of a familiar feel to it. Yeah, you know, it's one of these places where foreigners are treated really nicely to at least Americans or I, you know, I, I can't speak to all foreigners, but you're almost given like a ridiculous amount of credit as, as a foreigner, you know, for <laughs> credit or forgiveness or, yeah, it's, I almost want to tell people like, you know, we're really not that cool. Like you should probably find <laughs> some other group to emulate, but yeah, it does shape your experience when you're in a place like that when, yeah. And, and what I don't know is like, how is it just to be Filipino and to interact with other Filipinos every day? You know, my experience is that of a foreigner who has a relatively large amount of money moving around a country. So it might be quite different if you're a poor Filipino. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't detect a lot of unkindness in how people um, deal with each other. That would be as opposed to a place like China or even India. Like people just don't seem to be particularly gentle with each other in those places and and also maybe very like class sensitive in india you know where it's like we all know exactly where we are in some kind of huge hierarchy i didn't detect signs of that in the philippines although i've learned that those things can be hard to pick up like there's way more of that in madagascar than i would have thought when i first moved there and i, I kind of slowly tuned into some of that Another thing about the Philippines is that there's a lot more like gender equality there. I think women have got much higher position in society than a lot of Asian countries. It's quite um, progressive in that way. I found. Yeah, when I did the this podcast with Forrest, he highlighted that, and I think I even compared it to Madagascar because Madagascar is unusually matriarchal and very un-African in that way. You know, like the vast majority of continental African societies are. Are patriarchal and i think that definitely is part of what makes the philippines nice yeah i know like in india as a as a guy a foreign guy you know you, you rarely get into just fall into conversations with women you know it's just just dudes everywhere you know and you know occasionally you will but in the philippines it just it seems a lot more equal and you could just you can just chat with anybody everybody gets on well everybody's respectful so it's just it's just a nice it's got a nice vibe to the place. Yeah, a, a bit like Malaysia. And it's interesting because Malaysia mm. is like theoretically quite a conservative Muslim country, but but women seem to be quite free to just do what they want and talk to who they want. And it's, it gives a place a nice feeling. It is weird in India. Eh? I mean, I at certain points during long drives, I've actually started counting just the number of men I see compared to the number of women. And the ratio is astounding. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something like fifty <laughs> men for every every woman, just in any random village in India. It's bizarre. Yeah, it's just men everywhere. How long were you in the Philippines? Was it a week? Just over a week. It was like nine just days. Over a week. So I guess this whet your appetite enough that you've uh, started plotting another trip uh, to go back there and visit some other places. 
multiple plots multiple plots yeah yeah I, uh, <laughs> I actually i made a list of birds that i really want to see and i entitled it i shall return in the fashion of uh the infamous general marshall who uh who left the philippines abandoned the philippines and then came back during world war ii it's interesting i've i've read a bunch about marshall and I think as a kid, when I was hearing about American history, he was always portrayed as this great hero. And even in the Philippines, he seems to be kind of revered as this hero. But the more I dig into the history of it, the more it seems like he was just not a very competent general. And he was just like a big showman. <laughs> and he, he he said this right. when he evacuated the Philippines. I shall return. So I shall return too and try to see the Philippine eagle and those amazing broadbills on, uh, I guess one, there's one on... Uh, Mindanao, one of the Visayas. The wattled broadbills, yeah. Oof. Now there's some there's some really high quality birds in the Philippines. A lot of difficult birds, and it, and it seems to be the sort of place you could live there. You know, if you were Jarvis, or um, I mean, there's other some other expat birders that have been there that I'm that I'm sure are still missing birds. So, I mean, there seems to be an endless supply of like really really tricky endemics to try and track down. Absolutely, that I I know. Um... Forrest, he's just been doing some travels with some people we know around the Philippines, and he's still going for birds he's never seen before. And you know, he's he's been living there for many years, so that that's quite unlike Madagascar, where you know, by the time I'd guided my first tour or done done the recce to guide the tour, I'd seen almost everything uh, in Madagascar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, uh, the first yeah. my, in my first day in the Philippines, I called my wife and I was like, "Do you want to live in the Philippines? I think <laughs> it would." <laughs> I actually think it'd be a wonderful place to live. Yeah, I can I can see it. I think they're pretty welcoming people. You don't feel like you've been stared at the whole time. I think um, not at all. It could be nice, and there's certainly enough uh, certainly enough nature to keep you occupied. And it's not the most expensive place in the world, so uh, yeah, it's got a it's certainly got a lot of a uh, lot going for it. Definitely, yeah. It, it has a good, well, good in my view, like intermediate level of development where you're not like Norway where everything is so developed and so expensive, but you have most of the basic things you need, like pretty good internet, um, passable roads, except in Manila. That, that's just a function of vast amounts of traffic in Manila, but yeah, it's, you know, good, good availability of food and, you know, comfortable places to stay. What did you make uh, of the food? I mean, I, I wasn't super impressed by it, to be honest. Sorry, Forrest, if and when you listen to this podcast, but I I did take your point that the Philippines are really cool and totally agree with you. However, I do think you oversold the food. <laughs> we, Forrest and I chatted about this a bit on WhatsApp, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't impressed. I was not impressed. I I mean, you, you can't get Western from You can easily go for a pizza or a burger or whatever, but the, the actual Filipino food itself, is uh, I, I wasn't too impressed. No, I wasn't either. I The last night I was in Manila, I met up with an old friend and we went out to quite a fancy Filipino restaurant, like right in this really exclusive development. And it was super, it was packed with Filipinos, right? We, it, we had to wait like 45 minutes to get a table. And I was thinking, okay, this is going to be awesome because, you know, it, it just ticks all the boxes for like, this is the food I've gotten so far hasn't been great. Cause I've just been out in the boonies and I didn't know where to go. I didn't have local knowledge, but this is going to be awesome. 
and it was pretty mediocre food better than average american food definitely like if you you know <laughs> plunge me down in ohio versus you know luzon i'd definitely pick luzon every time in terms of the food but yeah by by asian standards pretty weak i mean people just seem to love fast food it's like yeah i don't know there's some culture obviously of like food traditions and stuff but i don't know it seems like people pretty quick to abandon those and be delighted to just go have a burger one big difference that i i noticed because i went maybe 20 years ago to the first time to the philippines i spent a couple of months there i was on this little remote island helping do some bird surveys and helping train some guides and stuff with bird bird things so it was and i met the, the author of the the sort of original field guide this guy tim fisher this real expat birder so we birded together a little bit and and there was another couple of expat birders, but they, they, they didn't seem to be much local interest in birding. You know, the Filipinos, there weren't many Filipino birders. There was a few scientists and ornithologists and stuff like that. But as a as a hobby or whatever, there was very little. And that seems to have really changed in the past, probably in the, in the past decade, especially, especially with the, with the event of photography. I think a lot of Filipinos are into bird photography now. But um, did you did you meet any... Any bird guides or birders, or did you, did you see any local interest in birds? Yeah, on Luzon, I did not. Um, I, I don't even think I saw another birder. Um, it's, it's actually strange. A friend of ours was actually guiding there at the time that I was there at, at Infanta, but somehow didn't bump into him. But on on Palawan, I wanted to tell you about this the local guide that I hired there. Uh, this guy was recommended by Forrest. Um, yeah, I guess I can actually just give people his name because I just highly recommend him. If anybody's headed to Palawan, the guy's name is Randy Tibor and you can find him on Facebook. So For Forrest had just been guided by Randy and strongly recommended his services. So I, I decided that would be my solution on, on Palawan. I'd just connect with Randy. Randy was willing to arrange transport so Randy organized a, a small car and he I just put him put myself in his hands. I said, these are the birds I want to see. And this is, you know, the amount of time I have and just let's go birding. And oh man, he was awesome. He was, <laughs> he was definitely like Madagascar level local guide. Like one of the really? best I've ever seen. Um, really really passionate really i mean he set a schedule that was like pretty grueling even by my standards it was like he wasn't one of these <laughs> you know there's certain local guides where they're good but they don't really want to put in long hours like man he was going hardcore it as it turns out so randy he has a full-time job with the forest department of i think the, the the main city there of puerto princesa so that's his like day job but basically, when he guides people, that's almost like a, a chance for him just to go birding. And so, and you know, it felt like we were just birding together uh, rather than like I was hiring a local guide. He was just so excited to be out and about birding. So that was that was really fun. And it, I mean, he was just amazing. He's, they're, they're actually, um, some of the birds are real easy on Palawan, but there are some really tough ones. And we just got, we saw all of them. I mean, we just, really? and, and most of that was was credit to him. He just, he knew where to go and he knew the right techniques. And, 
I was really impressed by, by his level, just as a birder and as a guide. And one of the things I found fascinating, I, I think I referenced this in that last, last podcast we did about South India. You talked about how you had this local guide who took you up a hill to his house and he had a little hide for, for bush quail. Mm. R- Randy, he also, he had, uh, well, he'd been involved in this uh, attempt to basically attract photographers to Palawan. And so they, they set up all kinds of, of hides at this little park just outside of the of Puerto Princesa and, and it was amazing I mean they wow. had like a little pond for kingfishers and it was like a little <laughs> self-contained pond in a in a stream and then when photographers come they stock it with fish and then they've got perches no. and then the kingfishers come in and sit over this and then come fish in this little little pond I mean it was wow. amazing it was I, I've never, never seen anything like, anything that. like that no um, they had they had multiple setups for different birds. You know, we shot over to this one place to see Palawan flycatcher, and then shot over somewhere else to to see the shama, and that was amazing. And I think he's the main guy who's been doing all of that. Um, and then on our last day, he he took me to his house, and he, he you know it's like a, an alley down by the seashore in Puerto Princesa. So you kind of pull down this dead end alley. And you walk down the hill, you know, there's, you can't drive up to his house, but you walk down the stairs and then his house is, it's almost like it's right at the edge of some mangroves. And he's basically built his like little terrace like at the back into this like bird feeding slash photography hide. It was unbelievable. I mean, he had like five different features there. He had water and he had different kinds of food. And I guess he just feeds the birds every day. And, but I don't know, a lot of people feed birds, but he'd done this all with an eye to photography, right? So, like, everything was kind of, like, set up and, like, nice perches, and it was it was just amazing. Uh, you know, we sat there for, like, an hour, drank a coffee, and got great shots of, like, four or five different birds, including some of the endemic birds, uh, mangrove blue flycatchers. And it's just this this little house, like, down in, you know, side street in, in the this, this city. <laughs> it, it just made me realize, like, how much potential there is to do this kind of thing huge yeah. yeah yeah huge huge it makes me wonder if the future of guiding is just going to be going around all these different entrepreneurs um setups you know <laughs> i mean that's what that's what it's like sometimes that you go somewhere like costa rica you know you just go from one one place to the next i think it probably is eh? i think that's we're headed that mm. way certainly for a lot of countries and i i have mixed feelings about that but there's a lot of good things about it for sure Makes our job easier. Or unnecessary. Um, <laughs> unnecessary, yeah. Yeah, but that, that's okay. Um, you know, essentially, if tourism is flowing to the local people directly involved in conservation, I think that's, in a lot of ways, a healthy model. There's probably room for, for both, for, you know, international or regional tour guides and local guides. But if it has to be one or the other, these, the local guides are probably more important but uh it's quite interesting it it's sort of gone from you know people making money by working as a guide or whatever you know you make ten dollars a day whatever to to actually specific birds having a monetary value you know you're gonna i'm gonna show you this owl and you're gonna pay me 20 bucks and i'm gonna show you this bird and you're gonna pay me 10 bucks or whatever so there's a lot more potential to money than just just guiding people around you know you're actually showing them specific things that they're willing to spend 
certain amounts of money on. You know, if you if they show you a a mountain gorilla, you're willing to pay a thousand dollars. You know, if they show you a a, a monitor lizard, they're willing to pay a hundred dollars. So everything's got a sort of monetary value for showing. You know, just for seeing it. Yep, I often think that's how things are going to be in the future. It's kind of funny. Um, Rwanda, you know, the main tourism in Rwanda historically has been mountain gorillas. And yeah, you, you get a permit that gives you the right to try to see a mountain gorilla. But Rwanda did a bunch of uh, development and investment in tourism. Yeah, this is now like 10 years ago. And they seem to kind of apply that model to everything. The sort of like permit for animal model. I found it quite quite funny. So they had like different price brackets and different different permits for like, oh, you want to see a colobus? Okay, that colobus permit is this much. You want to see everything had a price. <laughs> I'm not sure that would work on the Maasai Mara. No. <laughs> You'd be forking out a lot of money paying separately for each uh, <laughs> each animal. Wildebeest is only 25 cents each, but you're still going to pay. <laughs> no, I, um, Randy, Randy was a great guy. I highly recommend anybody who is happens to be in Palawan or if you join a tropical birding trip, we'll, we'll certainly be working with Randy in the future. So it's interesting, the tropical birding trip that we used to do, the main tour was doing Luzon and Mindanao. Mindanao, which is really tough and long days and big hikes and long drives and early starts and stuff like that. And then the extensions were to Palawan and another one to the Visayas, these smaller islands in the middle. But um, I redesigned this tour and we called it Easy Philippines. And the places that you visited, we actually called, we actually put those on the main tour. So now it's the Easy Sites in Luzon together with Palawan is the main tour. So you can do all pretty easy birding. And then if you choose to go to Mindanao afterwards and do a more challenging stuff, you can add that on. But uh, we're going to see if this uh, this model of, of doing an easy Philippine tour uh, works out. It was one of the things that struck me in the Philippines is that it's a place with immense potential for ecotourism, uh, birding in particular. And there's remarkably few birders and bird tours to the Philippines. I, it's kind of puzzling. Um, and I think some of it comes to this the bad reputation. I think a lot mentioned. of it comes down to this uh, this malafama, this uh, bad press that it's always had about being such a tough location. Yep, definitely. So I, I do think that itinerary you came up with is great, and I think just about anybody would enjoy that. the The main tour, you know, maybe not the the Mindanao stuff, but you know, anybody who would enjoy a trip to Thailand or India would love this e easy Philippines trip. You know, it's got some great places, cool people edible food and awesome birds <laughs> when i chatted with forrest about the food he was saying well you know i hear a lot of what you're saying but there are some really good local specialties and oftentimes in the philippines it comes down to knowing where to go like there might be 19 uh. mediocre little dabas and uh you know but then there, there might be some kind of amazing like local barbecued pork and you just you have to know like where and when to go there. So I think, I'm sure that has some validity. Like you can get really good stuff if you know. So hopefully I can go with somebody who knows, maybe Forrest or somebody like that at some point and, and dig into Philippine cuisine a bit more. I'm, you know, I'm not giving up on it. it. It is a funny place because you're at such a crossroads, right? Of like history and culture. 
You've got, yeah. <laughs> you know, influence from Malaysia and China and Spain. And, and again, it's like all these influences seem to have been largely kind of erased or confounded by the American influence from the past couple decades, certainly when it comes to food. So maybe you just have to look, like dig deep to, to find the good food left from all those uh, cosmopolitan influences. Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the good questions and the curiosity, Charlie. Uh, it's always fun to chat about these things. Some of the chats we have on the podcast are, are basically chats you and I would just have next time we got together anyways. <laughs> and so we're just uh, making them available to the world. Hope you enjoy. Um, hope you find it all of interest. We're probably going to do a follow-up episode where we talk about maybe my top five highlights in terms of wildlife which is probably all going to be birds in the Philippines. So thanks, folks, for listening. We will play out with one of these owls, um, quite a cool owl. This one is found all over the Philippines, except it's not on Palawan. And this is one of the things that keeps you sleep-deprived day after day. This is the <laughs> chocolate bubak. Pr pretty cool name, pretty cool vocalization. And this recording is by... Our friend Ross Gallardi, who uh, he's been on the podcast. Uh, I think Charlie, I think you interviewed Ross and Melissa yes, Gallardi. You did, and so uh, yeah. Thanks for the recording, Ross. And yep, yeah, catch everybody next week.